All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fuck nicks? I have a lovely guest today. Sharon Van Etten is here. She's a singer-songwriter. Many of you know her. Uh, She released her breakthrough album, Epic, over a decade ago. She's got six studio albums total, including Tramp, Are We There, Remind Me Tomorrow, and her latest, We've Been Going About This All Wrong, great album. She's also been acting a bit, uh, including roles in David Lynch's Twin Peaks, The Return, which I talked to her about at... not at all. No acting talk on this one. It's just the way it went. But it was great meeting her. We've been trying to get this to happen for a while. She doesn't live that far from me. She's a, a, a lovely guest for many reasons outside of her talents and uh, how pleasant it was to hang out. But she brought me uh, gifts. She brought me a nice bag of fresh coffee from a roaster near her over in her neighborhood and uh, a nice uh, to-go cup thing for my car or wherever I want to take it that keeps it hot. That does. That's not nothing. That is not nothing, showing up with presents. So it was great to talk to her, and you'll hear that shortly. So I'm on Reservation Dogs. It dropped yesterday. You can watch that. I just watched it. I think I did a pretty good job. I think I was pretty funny. I think I was pretty me. I was hairy. I was uh, had a little bit of crankiness to me. Um, I think that I had a couple of funny moments. The show is, I, as you know, I love the show, but I'm on there, and it was one of the great, great fun acting experiences. It was probably the most fun I had acting um, ever, just riffing it out, making some funnies, being this guy. I didn't think I could be the guy, but it turns out I was the guy. It was good. Go watch it. What else can I tell you? A lot of you are hearing me complain about, not complain, but my fear of uh, fascism and uh, drought. Neither seems that they can be solved or stopped. But I I don't think I'm crazy about either. But the drought thing, because I talk to people here. I mean, I look. We all cherry pick the news we see, or we all compartmentalize or, or contextualize the stories we read. But I don't think I'm freaking out uh, unnecessarily about the water situation. Like I'm literally in a panic almost every day about when when do I need to get out of here? I mean, it's not even so much about getting my money back on my house. It's just about getting out before the fucking water panic. And look, not for nothing. Liquid Death has been sending me like a, two cases every two weeks. I don't know why. They're, I, 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 they're not sponsor anymore, but they just keep sending them and I'm not going to stop it because I got a stockpile now. I've got plenty of water for uh, almost everything I need for at least a week. And I've got carbonated water if I want to try bathing in that or showering or it, whatever. Brushing my teeth with carbonated water. I can do that because of Liquid Death. This isn't a plug. This is a reality. But my thing is, really, is that they're not going to tell us. That's, that's my fear. It's like I told Brendan, my producer, that we're going to be out of water by you know, the middle of summer. And he's like, really? You think that the, the biggest, the largest economy in the United States is just going to run out of water in, in two months? I'm like, yeah, kind of. And uh, okay, maybe I'm off by a month or two, but it's happening. But I just don't think they're going to tell us when it's actually happened. I mean, you think the state of California is just going to be like, uh, 
Yeah, everybody, you might want to think about packing up. You got about two months. You got about six months. I'd get out of the state. All of you, stores, everything. The only people that should live here are people that don't need water. Whoever those people are. Only reptiles can remain. But that's my concern is that who's going to tell us that the jig is up? Can I say that? Is that swaying in a bad way? Who's going to tell us that game over? We're just going to get like an alert like I just got on my phone. Like you get those amber alerts, you get weather alerts, you get missing elders alerts, missing senior citizens. Those alerts on your phone, you're like, what's happening? What's that sound coming out of my phone? It's just going to be one day, it's just going to say, water gone, good luck, Gavin. In New Zealand, having great time, Gavin. Hashtag winning. Get out now. Traffic terrible. Can see it from my helicopter. Gavin. That's what's gonna that's what that day is gonna be like. That's the day before everything really goes to fucking hell. One other thing in personal news here. Um Charlie Beans Roscoe, the cat that I found under my stair- stairwell out back when he was about two weeks old and abandoned by his mother or in the process of being moved or whatever, I grabbed him and the rest of that family is gone. Could not find them. She took, I don't know what happened to them. Can't be good. Uh, But Charlie moved in a couple of days ago and sure enough, within two days of living here, he had you know diarrhea and he threw up and I took him to the vet and I spent like $600 for x-rays and medicines and parasite medicines and this and that. And uh, I got him home and he's acting pretty chipper. That's sort of the baptism for me. I'll just, but also there's like, we're not sure about this x-ray. He's young. It's hard to get definition. Maybe there's, it's like, it never, like why? I just, he's okay. I didn't, I just got to ride this out though. It's, It's almost like, you know, welcome the new cat. Here you go. Veterinary panic. I'll keep you abreast of the situation. We don't know if there's blockage, but uh, I freaked out entirely because that's what I do. It's just, the, it's amazing the zone you get into, that sort of cortisol groove of just getting a cat to the vet. This cat's a kitten, so there's no problem driving him there, but just all the fear and panic and why my cat and what the hell's happening. Why, yeah. And then it's relatively inconclusive. You just have to wait. I guess it's the same with people. But I, he's a cute guy, and, uh, and I assume that if he lives, Buster and Sammy will uh, take turns beating the shit out of him until he understands who's boss. And that's also not, not unlike taking a cat to the vet office, uh, seeing that kitten get beat up, and all his joy and kittenness just get pushed around by a couple of old guys so he knows his place and behaves properly relating to them, heartbreaking. And then they just turn into fat old cats. So look, Sharon Van Etten is great. Uh, I love her music and I like this new album a lot. And the new record is called We've Been Going About This All Wrong and it's available now wherever you get music and this is me talking to her. Thank you. 
when I'm listening to your stuff and I'm looking who's on the albums and stuff, I realize like, fuck, I'm old. You know, I'm old and I'm missing an entire generation of people. <laughs> but I have the records. I just I don't always lock in. Yeah, I mean, I'm lear- I'm still learning. I feel like coming, you know, being new to LA. Still, yeah. I feel like we moved here in September of nineteen. From where? From New York. Yeah. And so it's like a whole new scene out here. Oh, really? I kind of still feel like a, the new kid, even though I'm in my 40s. It's yeah. a funny place to be. Yeah. And um, who was in the scene in New York? Um, like, well, who was hanging around? Well, when I first started, it was like TV on the radio had just gotten their, oh, yeah. their big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so that was... That was who I got introduced to at first. Yeah. But then it was um, Grizzly Bear was around. Mm. and um, This is back in the day? Yeah. It was like, like 2000 what? Like four. Ooh, yeah. 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 Grizzly <laughs> Bear. I kind of remember them. Yeah. I don't know. I think I missed them too. Yeah. I think they're- I think TV they, on the radio, I, they got through. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and Dave Siddick's out here now doing a lot of cool production stuff. The guy from TV on the radio? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. One, of, right. one of them. One of them? Tunde has a, like, he's an, he's done some acting now. Yeah. And um, he has a solo record, I think, either about to come out or just came out. But Huh. But then I'm, I'm looking at your records and I see that woman, Meg Baird. Oh yes, I know her. She's I have her beautiful, records. great yeah. voice. She's one of like she's like old school Philly circle for me. Like my first couple of records were. Uh, Is that her on sing on the harmony? A lot of them. She did on on um, on epic. She yeah. sang like a lot of psychedelic stuff through um, one of those uh, space echoes. Oh really? Yeah, she went to town. Yeah, we stayed up late the <laughs> night before listening to Lush and. Oh, that that'll do it, I guess. Yeah. Epic second that second record. Yeah. All right, so let's see. You come from where? Jersey. You're a Jersey person. Yeah. Full aren't... full Jersey. You're born there, right? I'm, yeah, I'm I'm genetically Jersey, <laughs> and I think I'm close to you. Yeah. Like I'm uh, like my mother's from Pompton Lakes. Oh sure, yeah yeah yeah. Pompton Lakes, Pompton Plains. Pompton Plains, yeah. I worked at a in in my early twenties when yeah. I moved back home with my parents. I worked at a, a sh- an animal shelter near um, where was it in Orange? Uh huh. In like East Orange. Or yeah. Something? I, I well Pompton Lakes. I just remember Willowbrook Mall. Oh, sure. The big mall. Yeah. yeah. And then Paramus Park Mall. Where was I? Morris County? I don't know what county. Okay. That was. Yeah, that was Wayne. Essex. Oh, Wayne. Do you sure. know where Wayne is? Yeah, Wayne. Yeah. There's a, I heard the shore. I heard the Jersey and the shore. Sure. <laughs> the shore. You're, you're, you're sure. The word. Well, I heard so, Jersey. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I always said the beach, <laughs> but like my dad, who's born and raised Jersey, still Jersey. Um, never, never will leave. Never, yeah. Never will leave. Um, yeah. But, you know, I didn't know, like, the shore that everyone talks about. The Jersey Shore? Like, there's so many shores. We used to go, my, I have uh, family down the shore. But by Deal, Deal Beach. Deal? Yeah, Deal. And it was like, at the time, back in the day, a lot of Persian Jews now, but but now it used to be like where the uh, big mobsters used to have big houses on the beach. There's a lot of weird big beaches uh, down there, a lot of big houses. Okay. I was just down there, actually, to visit. It's in Monmouth County. Oh sure, my yeah. yeah, I have family in like Asbury, Brielle. Right, it's right there, yeah. right near there. My grandparents lived in Asbury. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I I love that. I love that area. It's it's got like I drove through it for the first time. My grandparents, uh, towards the end of it, lived in that one high rise building. There was it for old people. It's sort of at the end of the boardwalk. Okay. But now they redid the whole place. Have you performed at uh, Count Basie before? Yeah, I was just there. Oh, cool. 
You? Yeah, I no, I've been there. I remember in the 90s there was this show called The Christmas Charity Love Bash. <laughs> yeah. And it was like The Whirling Dervishes, Evan Dando, The Murmurs and Frente. Like, Evan Dando. Yeah. <laughs> he was my first crush. <laughs> With the, the lemon, lemon heads? heads. Oh yeah. What happened to Evan Dando? Uh, I don't think that's a great story for no, some reason. He's not doing well it doesn't seem. Do you see him around? I mean just, you know, I Twitter and messages oh, yeah. that people write when they're spiraling. Oh, really? <laughs> it bums me out, you know. It's a business. Yeah. It's the business. Yeah. You got to document everything, apparently. Well I, well, I mean, no, I mean, our the nature of our business is there's going to be spirals. Right. And there's going to be, like, there's a whole generation of people where you're like, what happened to that guy? And it wasn't that long ago. Mm-mm. And it's never no. a great story, but they keep pushing along somehow yeah i don't know what's going to happen to that guy but i get no. I, I get messages from people i'm like uh-oh i was just thinking about a guy yesterday i'm like i better text that guy because i haven't heard from him yeah i'm rooting for you <laughs> you know what i mean you can do it i want you to do well well i think that when you come up in a scene like i think that time of the Lemonheads and that whole world like i was in boston back in the uh you know in the 80s and i think when you have a scene and then whoever comes out of that scene and becomes a big star, they kind of get established. And then everyone else is kind of fighting it out. Right. And then when you really kind of like really are no longer part of anything anymore, I think it's a very it's a, it's it's kind of hard on the ego and you don't really know where to go. And if you have substance and alcohol abuse issues, it's compounded. Yes. I yeah. mean, I think about, you know, I kind of came into music at a time where. I kind of missed the height, you know, getting yeah. in at a good point. Of alt-rock or of, of the original kind of post-punk scene? Well, even just like the days of like getting signed and what that means. Right, right, and, right, right. And yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. support behind it in this other Pre-internet. way. Yeah. Like, right, right. And, that um, when A&R guys would find you and make you. Yeah, and you'd fly all over the world. Right, right. And, and you get two you know, million dollars of money, millions of dollars to do a record for a year. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't really exist anymore. But I'm glad, in a way, that that's I didn't start up here. Yeah. Now I think a lot of kids that are being found through TikTok and other ways, and they yeah. they set the bar so high. But it's like, how do you sustain something if it starts all the way up here? I feel for I them. Know. I don't you know. know. Yeah, I, but I don't even know how many people of the of a generation kind of dig in in the same way that we did. Like you know, like even give a shit necessarily about the history or what we come from, you know, musically. I think a lot of younger people learn a trick and they do it and they nail it and all their talent goes into this moment and then they just sort of ride that for as long as possible. Whereas I think it it seems like, like you, I think that there was a time where people really paid their dues and figured out who they were. And I don't know if that happens anymore, does it? Am Am I being old man again? I mean, I think I think there are still kids that their main thing is they want to tour. Yeah, which play the rock music. It like it makes me blush. Just think that's <laughs> the sweetest thing in the world because yeah. that's all I you know. All I, if I thought, I never thought I would have a career at all. I just liked playing, and I yeah. always had a job. You know, right. and I used to book my own shows through Book Your Own Fucking Life. I don't know if you ever heard what of that. What was that? It's called byofl.org. Yeah, like MapQuest era. Uh huh. Um, 
where like people would post about their houses or DIY spaces oh. and you'd write them directly, but they would say like which genres they preferred. Oh, wow. If they would to put stay you up your or house? not. <laughs> like I would drive across country by myself in my car and just like throw a guitar in the back and maybe have a buddy so I wasn't alone, but like just driving across country. And, the, and that would set up the gig too? Yeah. So it was sort of like what used to happen in punk rock with zines and with that network of people who were who when punk rock was uh you know barely known. So they'd come over here and it'd just be the fans who would take care of everything. Exactly. Right. So it, I didn't realize they had a website at some point in time. Yeah, I, I think it's defunct now, but I, I remember think, very yeah. clearly being a solo folk folk artist opening up for like this metal show in like Worcester, you know? Worcester <laughs> I remember Worcester. <laughs> there used to be a comedy show at a place called Margaritaville in Worcester. Worcester was heavy, man. Yeah. But okay, so when you were growing up in New Jersey, huge family? I'm one of five. Middle? And? Middle. Middle of the middle. Really? So you're, yeah. there's two on either side of you? Yeah, so there's an older brother, older sister, me. Yeah. Little sister, little brother. Holy shit. All two years apart. And what what your folks do? <laughs> um, my mom, well, she stayed at home until I was in sixth grade and going to night school. And by the time I was in sixth grade, she got her master's in teaching at Montclair State. Montclair. And uh, we teaching moved. Teaching what? Uh, history. Ah. So she went from being a history teacher to the head of the department. Um, really? Yeah. After She's five smart, kids, she went yeah. to wow. She's and what, a badass. And your dad—they're not married, or they are. <laughs> they still are. Wow, which is shocking. I don't is know how shocking? they made it through. I, I mean, would, <laughs> did you not think they would make it? Do they still like each other? <laughs> they do, I think. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I'll call them to check in, yeah. and they'll be in. Like they have a house in Maine where my sister lives and has a farm. Oh and, yeah. And she has three kids, so they like to help out. They're newly retired. Is that the how many? Do all your sibs have kids? No, one does not. But he has. A beautiful St. Bernice Mountain dog. Oh, okay, because <laughs> like I think the uh, grandparents gravitate to the kids. Yes, they and they be... chose. They chose their child. Oh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, well, you have one. Yes, They're, exactly. You, you, I don't know. That, could you see your parents moving out to like Highland Park? <laughs> that would be a good show. Um, <laughs> but no, my you know my parents like to travel, yeah. so I think you know they come out. They have, yeah, yeah. yeah. And How old's your kid? Uh, he's five. Five. Yeah, just started kindergarten. Wow. Yeah, big time. How's that going? Is it? Are you enjoying the uh, the parenting process? It's. <laughs> I don't feel qualified yet. Um, Does but... anybody? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, yet. I mean, you're doing it. You're. You're. All the wiring has been laid. He's five. Yeah, I mean, we're totally screwed. He's a really great kid. Oh, that's um, good. He's a skater, a drummer. Um, he can play every sport oh, already. Really, and um, he, you know, he's traveled with me a little bit, and he loves he loves the bus. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, he's in love with my drummer Jorge, and um, yeah. Jorge even gave him lessons during the pandemic. And, oh really? Yeah, and he just he loves traveling, and he and school now he's kind of bummed out because he's realizing that it's going to be all the time. Oh yeah, this is yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's not just for the week. It's <laughs> this, not camp anymore. You know, <laughs> this, this is your life <laughs> for a long time now. So when you started playing, you referred to your, you, you do see yourself as a folk musician at the beginning, in a way. I mean, I you know the the Just you cliche of the girl and a guitar. You know that was you. That was me. Yeah. But I hit it pretty hard. Yeah. You know, like I was a banger, but I I could ha I had a range, so I I feel like people didn't understand what I. Who made you think you could do that? 
<laughs> like, um, what were you listening to that you said, like, I'm going to be that? I mean, my musical taste was, like, all over the place, but I, you know... But you I, chose just to be a guitar person. I mean, I gravitated towards guitar after piano because mm. it was easier to... Travel with. Travel with, you know. <laughs> Give try, um, but I don't know. I liked a lot of music. It was a, my dad had all his rock records growing up. and Like uh, old man rock? Like, well, some of it. Um, but he liked Neil Young and the Beatles and the uh, Kings. Jethro oh, yeah. Tull. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, sure, Jethro Tull. Yeah. Sitting on a park bench. Bump. Don't even get me started. The Sunday drives to the, <laughs> to the hiking trail on Sundays. Uh, yeah, he... He would, my mom still asked him to turn the music down. Um, Jethro Tull, I've tried to, uh, you know, kind of go back. It was, it's all before me. I grew up in a weird zone where, uh, you know, I was in high school in the late 70s. So it was just still the crashing wave of whatever happened earlier on. And then there was disco and new wave and punk sort of filtered in. But I got all that crap. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? I was in high school when the, I think, when In Through the Outdoor and Zeppelin's like last record came out. And we were all pretty excited. But Jethro Tull, I've tried to go back to recently. It's not not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy listening. Um, but there are just, a couple silly. pretty songs. Sure. There's a, like "Skating on the Ice of a New Day." Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like the, the but the 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 standing on one foot flute thing is for real. And it is the I've, furious flute playing. <laughs> I've seen him in concert. Ian Anderson is my one of my dad's favorite performers. Oh, and yeah? even so, you've uh, gone with your dad gone with my dad to see Jethro Tull there there's a beautiful theater in Jersey City actually um that we went to uh I can't remember the name of it but we saw Martin Barry the guitar player oh really his solo show there the guitar player of Jethro Tull Mm -hmm. he was kind of like a guy like he could do he was an odd player yeah and he could really play you'd really have to hang with Ian Anderson if you're going to be on board for the full JT you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god so that was really how I got my start was um, well, being pretty, a Jethro Tull fan <laughs> there's some folkiness in there there's definitely some weird renaissance-y kind of something yeah but my mom liked she you know she liked Lucinda Williams which you know was oh yeah a cool part of what those early records to. and Carol King oh yeah um, yeah my parents had tapestry oh yeah yeah forever yeah it was like the record it was just always present I have it it's still it good. Of course. It's still good. So when do you light out to on the road with your guitar? How old were you? What did you did you go to college and stuff? Um I I was a late bloomer to pushing myself like as a musician. Yeah. After high school I moved to Tennessee. But were you in high school were you like the sad girl with the guitar? I was actually really I was quiet but goofy. Oh, and good. I, I was more in like yeah, I was in musicals. Oh, and that's good. I was sporty. I did track. Oh yeah. And um, I wrote songs, but they were my friend Dana and I would sit on the main street in Clinton yeah. and write song like silly songs about like the gangster on the corner with their pants blowing in the wind. Like right, sure. Ween was really big when I Ween, was in high yeah. school, and they're from the area, like from the Pennsylvania side. Did you know Ween? I, I didn't know them personally, but I was a fan. You were? Yeah. You liked the Ween universe? The Ween. Wait, which one's that? No, it's just all of it. Oh. Ween is a universe. Uh, Ween is the, a universe. The, it's like you can't. <laughs> I don't know that record. <laughs> they were. They were un. You can't categorize Ween. They are th- in and of themselves. Absolutely. But yeah, the the country record. Um, oh yeah, that's great. Was big. Yeah. You know, yeah. Separate rope and was Baby Bitch on that one? I don't know. That is. 
I, I, I didn't go deep into the ween. I, I just touched the surface. It's mood oriented for yeah. sure. I interviewed one of them, Gene, I think. Gene Ween. He's out here. Oh, no way. I think so. Which one's the, not the guitar player, the other one. Dean, I think. Which oh, there's one a Dean I, and a Gene. Which one did I interview? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I felt I had to take the opportunity. Hold on. I think it yeah. was, I think, let's see. I used to go to New Hope, Pennsylvania, which was the next, like, the jersey. The... Yeah, I interviewed Gene. Okay. <laughs> Gene Ween. Dean Ween's a guitar player. Okay. Gene Ween's, he plays guitar too, but he's the other one. He's out here. He does, he was, he does work in showbiz. Okay. Yeah. Like, New Hope was where they were from, and that there was a coffee shop I used to go to there. It's in Pennsylvania? In Pennsylvania, but just, it's like the next town over. If you're going straight down 78 yeah. through Jersey, yeah. it's like the next town okay. on the Pennsylvania side. I like Pennsylvania. Yeah. I was just in Pittsburgh. I, I actually was one of those moments where I'm like, I could live here. Yeah. Like, there's some cool spots. Pittsburgh's cool. Yeah. All right. So, after high school, you just go to Nashville? It was Murfreesburg. Murfreesburg. Murfreesboro, the borough, yeah. as they call Burra, it. Borough, yeah. Um, and they but had what a record. The they had a recording program there. Oh, okay. And my parents were always like the backup plan. You know, you can't pursue music. I thought at the time I wanted to be on uh, Broadway. I was from all the musicals. You were ready. I was like, I, I knew I could sing. Yeah. But I, I my writing wasn't good, and right. So I felt like. If I'm into music, why not go to school for music and figure out a way to learn how to record myself uh -huh. or other people? Yeah. Um, but I I had this illusion that going to college for something specifically, I would get past all the general requirement stuff. And then yeah. I started school and then I had to take math and English and yeah. all over again. Yeah. And I, I was you not You thought you very, were done with that? Yeah, I wasn't very inspired by it. You know, I'm like, I finally got through this. I did well in school. I was yeah. A, B student, right. you know, and yeah. then I have to do it all over again. And I, I stopped after a year. Yeah. Um, and then what happened? Well, I, I fell in love with some guy who was in an emo band. An um, emo guy? Yeah. Like a big emo band? No. Like a known guy? Uh, like locally, I guess. In Murfreesboro? Murfreesboro. Yeah. And uh how's that go? It was not good. Um <laughs> but you know, you fall in love, you fall in love and I know he was my everything and I wrote all the time and I would play open mics and uh he told me that I wasn't good enough to play out and that I should keep practicing and keep writing and the that, guy who no one knows. The guy who no one knows. Telling you. <laughs> but it made me write a lot more at home and whenever he would go on tour I would sneak out and play shows locally and you um, had to sneak around because sneak of his because he was a scary guy or just <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he, was he was judgmental. Yeah, he was well both. Yeah. Um, you know, he was you know won't go too dark, but he was a yeah. manipulative guy, and I was easily like, yeah, you know, I'm, I get embarrassed talking about it sometimes, just because different life. Yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, that's the you know, you got it. That's the the training relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where, exactly. <laughs> that's where, in retrospect, you go like, I know now <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, I don't need to change for somebody else. There's and that, right? The yeah. Things that I realized that I fought for were things that I you know really cared about. And well, yeah. I mean, if you're if you if you had to sneak away into the night, you know, you you knew you believed in yourself. Yeah. Right. And so I, I ran away from that whole life. And when you look back on it, I mean, I mean, I know it's embarrassing, but you're you're a thoughtful person, and you write these songs. I mean, what did you learn? 
um, about relationships. Did you do you still believe that it was love? I I think you can you can I think I fell for sure this yeah. idea of what I thought this person was. I saw yeah. him perform and I thought, wow, he has charisma. He has yeah. something, yeah. you know. And right. I want to be doing what he's doing. Oh, there's a there's And then a, yeah. you know, and then for someone to reciprocate a feeling, yeah. you know, helps. Sure. Um but I, looking back, I re, when I see that I would close off myself from other people in order to, right. you know, make him them. happy, yeah, yeah. you know, because he didn't like my friends, he didn't like my music. I, I look back, I'm like, well, he didn't really like me. Yeah. He was trying to change me into something that he would be in love with. So or I, just keep you, you know, in in a place where he had control. Yes, absolutely. And control is still a thing in my life that I have issues with that I know I need to work on because of giving all up that. control. Giving up control. Yeah. You got that codependent thing. Um. Or you don't call it that. It's, well, I I think it's more about independence and like being in control of my own life. Oh, I see. Um. When I think. When things feel out of control, it's because I, I feel like I'm not a part of my own life. Right, right. But you don't. You've you've gotten over not you know d- like giving up yourself for someone else uh, to the point where it's detrimental. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> you know, whenever you feel like you're not being yourself around someone, I yeah. think that's a good red flag. Well, I, I mean, it's just. I mean, it sparks. Like I've been th- been uh, not nostalgic, but I, I think a, a lot about my past, and I've been through a lot of relationships and stuff. And like you know, I think about the times where I was an asshole and why I was an asshole. So I can usually picture the other side of <laughs> most women saying like that guy was an asshole. I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. I know that <laughs> asshole because like you know, we all change in a certain way. But that that weird jealousy of of someone else's life, of like not liking someone's friends, not liking what they like. It's it's such a because it's not even thought through. It's not even about not liking it. It's just not wanting that person to have a life outside of you. Right. Yeah. But it's like, I guess it's their control yeah. and then thinking they also know better than you. But th- yeah. And why? See, I see. I still do that. Like, I still like an idiot can write me an email about something that I did and I'll be like, oh, my God, do I do that? Not, not, no one even know. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to like you know, sit and think the whole day. Ugh. Over what? I don't know that person. And they just dump something into my head. And I'm like, maybe I am wrong. Oh, Jesus. Do you? Okay. <laughs> people must write you all the time. So how do you like, because I, I try not to read a lot of things, but people don't know when they, I mean, they must know when you at somebody yeah. that you get the message, right? Sure. If, if you're one of those people that reads them. Yeah. <laughs> if you're spending your day <laughs> looking you at a, your ads. Do you have a fielder? No. No. I read them. Yeah. Yeah. These are usually emails. The, yeah. the, well, that's not true. I, I don't know why I'm st- I'm still so porous, you know, in the sense that like you know I have a fundamental insecurity around uh, around everything. But I I just have to put a shield up. I have to have self talk around it and be like, don't don't let that. You don't know that person. That's you know that guy's got four followers. Are you gonna? Re- <laughs> you know, Justin Vernon from Bonnie Vera used to retweet every bad tweet that someone like sent to him. That's not a good policy. <laughs> I mean, I can understand that you feel like that's empowering, but it's only going to... Fuel it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's just going to exponentially... It's, that must end it in a disaster. Yeah. I don't think he tweets anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he, he retweeted himself right out of the game. <laughs> so does does a lot of the stuff that you were working on in Murfreesboro from from that relationship show up in the first record? When was it? When was the Murfreesboro time? So that was ninety nine uh, until two thousand two, 
And then, oh, that's not too bad. That's not too big a time investment. Yeah, to, it was like to be in a horrible, abusive relationship. Yeah, it's like three or four years. Yeah, and then, you know, my sister, the saint, she she flew me out of there and let me stay with her for a while in Vermont. Airlifted you out? Yeah, to Vermont. She got me the hell out of there. <laughs> um, and she let me crash on her couch um, while I figured out my life because yeah. I was a mess. Yeah. Um, and she encouraged me to play an open mic at the Radio Bean in Burlington, Vermont. And yeah. I made my first couple friends moving back. Uh-huh. And then she gave me the confidence to reach back out to my parents because I hadn't, I didn't talk to them for those few years. I was in submerged. Tennessee. I cut them out. You did because of the guy. Because of the guy. Was it because of him or because of your own shame? A little bit of both. Uh. Yeah. That's um, rough because then they know something's wrong, and they didn't approve of the guy, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they didn't like me dropping out of school. Oh right, right and then right, I ended right. up getting a job at a coffee shop, and then now I'm just like a dropout teenager yeah. <laughs> working at a coffee shop. But <laughs> you um, blew it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, they were formative years, and the coffee shop was great. I, you know, I made a lot. Like that was my family, so yeah. it was like my. A little apartment and my family at this coffee shop that I'm still friends with a lot of those people that now live in East Nashville. Um, but yeah, I cut them out for a while. It's pretty, again, another embarrassing, like they don't know me. They're just, just, we're just blood. Doesn't mean we should, you know, they're my real family. They don't understand me. And I'm like, why are you running away from that? They're, your parents are you, you know? Yeah, you are them. Um, they are you. And they took me in, like, no questions asked. They just said, if you're going to, if you need to get back on your feet, go to therapy, um, get a job, and go back to school for yeah. a year and yeah. try to get back on your feet. And that's what I did. That's what you did after Vermont, after you emotionally <laughs> rehabbed in Vermont, your sisters. <laughs> You got the low down, got yep. your got regrounded and kind of drooped home. Yep. Tail between my legs, you know, all this such a failure. Oh um, uh, yeah. But that that ended up giving me the confidence to start playing again and writing and um Did you go to therapy? I did go to therapy. It yeah. changed my life. Yeah. For sure. Um I didn't realize like I had, you know, I had panic attacks. Um Oh, how'd they manifest? Breathing? Well, yeah, a lot of breathing, which yeah. I disguise with smoking. Um, so I smoked a lot. Did you give it up? I still Not sneak. Really? You do? I sneak, oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah, it's been so long. Yeah, I'm trying to cut out yeah. a lot of things, but I, I still, I still <laughs> like, I, I would, you know, coffee and cigarettes, like, they're kind of my... I would bad. like to uh, cut out food entirely, <laughs> but apparently that's the one thing you can't cut out entirely. <laughs> food is... That's the one I want out. <laughs> I haven't uh, smoked a cigarette in a long time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so do you go back to school or you didn't? I, I did. I went to Raritan Valley Community College. Mm. Um, and How was that? I mean, I resisted at first, but then I, I took a psychology class and a photography class. Oh, and are good. Like yeah. you're, you're shooting pictures? Yeah. I got to, you know, develop my own film. Doing the darkroom thing, black and white? Yeah. Just put on headphones and, oh, yeah. and, and just learn how to develop. I That's don't nice. know. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I took, I ended up taking two semesters of photography. Watching the thing come to in the, uh, in, in the, uh, in the tray. Yeah. And you just got to like, time every, yeah, every little tray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really nice, actually. And, 
And the psychology? Psychology, I had, because I liked the psychology class I took in high school. Uh-huh. And my mom was actually still friends with um, the psychology teacher there who found me the therapist. Uh-huh. And they're still friends to this day. And um, I knew it was an interest of mine. Yeah. Just learning how to understand behaviors. Yeah. Things like How's that. How's that going? Um. I'm still learning. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've been studying psychology in pieces um, over the years. Really, to eventually get a degree to maybe be some kind of counselor, but I'm <laughs> you're, far, you're, far from that. <laughs> you're doing these amazing, beautiful records, but your your plan B is uh, going to be a therapist. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've been on tour lately, Mark, but no, it's not exactly not easy. Great. Yeah, it's it's a hard life. So you figure you'll do the you'll do the you'll record the records, <laughs> you put them out, sell a little merch online, and have a few patients on the side. Yeah, why not? I, I like I'll it. Have to change. Maybe I'll just. I mean, I obviously realize there's holes in this plan. But. Not really. Anybody like <laughs> I, you know? There, I I think it's one of those things that if you get your hours in. You can, you know, you can do it. Yeah. You know, there's not, you know, you can be a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, good, I'm a better listener than a talker. Yeah. But well, like when you st- when you say you're studying psychology piecemeal, how does that kind of work? Like, what, what, how do you do it? Well, I'm starting. Like, I'm still getting an undergrad. Yeah. I, it's something that you know, just chipping away. Yeah, chipping away. <laughs> but I, you know, when I lived in New York, I went to Brooklyn College yeah. for a couple semesters broken up by a kid and then um, by getting like an acting job. And so I've taken a couple semesters there when I lived there. Yeah. And then when I came here, I took a couple classes at um, the Pasadena City College. Oh, yeah. And if I hit a certain, I have to fill these general requirements in order to apply to the psychology program at UCLA. So you're still like dealing with those initial... (laughs) requirements yes required classes that you're avoiding i need a science class you need a language and a statistics i got my spanish out of the way early you're just taking your time that's good (laughs) Uh, (laughs) hobby girl hobby girl um but i like that you like you know you like there's this all this stuff happening and you know you're doing all this but you know in but you made a bunch of great records (laughs) but it doesn't seem to be the thing that you're focused on i just think it's just getting harder to do as I'm one thing I really to tour touring is a huge part of like being able to live as an artist right you know yeah and I just don't want to be gone that much anymore yeah especially with a kid and a dog and just I want after the last couple of years yeah I just I want to be there with Why, my you, partner I, I right well I guess like during COVID you really got to sort of lock in and realize, hey, this is all right. We can't go out of the house and we but it's nice to what, be home? Just figuring out what home is, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't I've moved so much as an adult even that you know, I just I haven't lived anywhere long enough to feel like I have roots. So you lived in Murfreesboro? Lived in Murfreesboro. And then you went back to Jersey. Back to Jersey. And then to New York City. Then to New York. And that's when you started, you recorded Because I Was In Love in New York? I recorded that in Philadelphia. Did you live in Philly? No, but I have like a big contingent there. And Meg Meg Baird, yeah. um, who played in Espers, yeah. um, introduced me to Greg Weeks. Yeah. And like I met Otto Hauser, who eventually played drums yeah. with me for a little bit. Philly crew. Yeah. Do you know Kurt Vile? I know Kurt. 
I know um, Adam Grandusile or Gronofsky, whatever yeah. he goes by now. Yeah. Um, so like the War on Drugs guys and Kurt Vile and that. So whole they circle. were your. So that was your crew. I met Kurt later, but Dave Hartley, who played bass in War on Drugs, yeah. was a played bass on um, Epic. Would they just release their third record, War on Drugs? They have they have their more is it their fourth? fourth maybe yeah I remember I I got it I don't know like I I had the first two I don't know if this one landed as hard with me as it, the other ones but they're good yeah they're massive you know he's they such do a have perfectionist massive sound, yeah yeah well that's he was I think it seemed like they'd been a long time since that last record yeah because someone was working on it yes yes Adam was going hard yeah he likes to go over and over I don't know if you've met Adam before I don't know those guys but uh, heart of gold he's funny. Um, but he, you know, he's played guitar on a couple of my records and one solo, like he would work on it for hours really? like, over and over and over. Like again. which records though? Cause it didn't get big until like, I guess Tramp becomes big, right? The sound anyways changes. Yeah. He played on, are we there? Okay. Yeah. Um, but, and Dave played bass on, are we there? And did he play bass on Tramp? No, he played bass on Epic. Um, because like it seems like be- the first two records are kind of pretty intimate. Yes. Right. The first one was kind of an accident. Um, really, you didn't know you did it. Well, I <laughs> I didn't own a tuner, and um, I tuned the guitar to itself. And we went to add stuff, and yeah. I, I knew that I wanted it to be minimal because I was touring solo, and I didn't want you people... didn't have a tuner. I didn't. I played an acoustic guitar. I didn't. But you recorded a whole record without a tuner. <laughs> I never played with other people, but that was a very good lesson because we tried to add stuff to it and you nobody can't. in the fucking <laughs> in the booth was like, "Hey, lady, why don't you tune your guitar?" It was pretty chill. It was a pretty <laughs> relaxed so. vibe. Yeah. And, um, yeah. All right. Yeah, but you know, Greg Weeks, who recorded it, he was he wanted me to feel comfortable because I, I was I, excruciatingly shy. Like I used to get my hair cut where my bangs were in front of my face and I was still learning how to have conversations with people and be able to look people in the eye and um, I always felt like I didn't belong there. But my friend uh, Ben Goldberg at Bada Bing Records, Uh he introduced me to Greg Weeks. Um, Who's that guy? uh, Greg Weeks, yeah, Greg Weeks produced the first record, and he played in a band with Meg Baird. Okay, and then, um, but Ben Goldberg, who has um, was my, f- uh, he worked at Bada Bing, Re- yeah. he owns Bada Bing Records, yeah. and I was an intern there when I moved to New York, and he introduced me to a lot of people to help okay. me get my start. So, wh- like, why were you so uh, shy? Was this a lifetime thing, or did something change? <laughs> I mean, you used to do musicals. Now yeah. you can't look anybody in the eye. What happened? <laughs> well, I think was yeah. it Murfreesboro? I was always kind of shy, like yeah. quiet. I mean, I was a goofball with my friends, right. of course. Um, but then Murfreesboro added to it for sure. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and I just I I kind of felt unworthy because oh. I I didn't really know chords or time signatures, key signatures. I knew how to play for me. Sure. But then as soon as someone would wa- want to jam with me or something yeah. i was like i don't know how to jam yeah, you know? yeah and it's yeah. still a thing with me i'm trying to learn how Jamming. to do it better like i just want to learn how to play with other people i just i don't know how to do it really me neither actually i'm, I'm trying to learn did you grow up playing with other people no. like just for fun no i played all i always played by myself mm-hmm. like i never could play with other people because i never wanted to learn other people's songs i never uh-huh. wanted to learn songs okay like i learned 
at some point a guy I had a good guitar teacher. He taught me pentatonic scales, and I can yeah make my way around, you know, country leads and blues leads and stuff, and I can mm-hmm. play chords and things. But I never wanted to play anything exactly like anybody. Like I never wanted to learn anyone's licks. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't want to learn how to play uh, Led Zeppelin perfectly. It just right. took too much energy. So I can play like myself, and I know a bunch of stinky blues licks. <laughs> and, <laughs> But I have I have a sense now. Like I've been playing with real musicians a bit, and and I I like it. I appreciate it. It's very scary though, to yes. me. But what you knew. But so you're saying that your guitar was out of tune, so you couldn't overdub, and that's why that that album's so sparse. Yeah, it's pretty minimal. We had to, you know, we had a bass that we put through um, an octave pedal that ended up being the bass because you could tune it a little bit to a to string your guitar instrument, t- right? But when people ask, like, what what tuning is this in? I'm like, I have no fucking idea. It's like D and a half or D and a third. I don't know what it is. Almost E. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I know how to, I can, I mastered tuning to itself and. You know, like they have these things you can just clip on the guitar. Yeah, now now they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's embarrassing, but it's true. But I'm no, owning it's not, it. It's not embarrassing. And you it say embarrassing happy, a lot. It's good. A happy, it's good it was record. a happy mistake and I'm proud of it. So, like, okay, so then you do Epic, which is not as sparse, but still pretty, I mean, it seems like you're crafting a tone. Learning how to play with other people. Yeah. Like, letting the the sound expand while still being me, you know. Well, that's interesting. So, let the sound expand. But also, like, there, there's definitely, like, uh, you have a very kind of consistent and evolving, though, vibe and tone to to the songs. It's very... Uh, I I don't know what the word is. Not heavy, but there's a a, a sort of it's not. It, there's a lot of space in there. That there's a lot of emotion in there that is not. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but I like it. You know, thank goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but no, but it's like you know, I I I understand. I don't know where you met Angel Olsen or why, but it seems like you know she must have been uh, inspired by you, uh, in a sense of like there there's it's it's not ethereal that I want. It's it's a heavier than that. But but there is sort of a, a a space that both of you kind of create that is that is a a nice place to be for a while. Yeah, I mean, which is funny because I actually I saw you at an Angel Olsen's show. You um, did, yeah. In L.A. Yeah. You're sitting behind me, and I was too shy to say hello. Um, again. Again, always, forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I first heard Angel in um, 2011. Um, which, a quick side note, because my partner thinks that you may have been, we did a show at Maxwell's with Ted Leo on New Year's. Oh, really? And he thinks that maybe you were the MC that night. I don't know that I I ever emceed a a New Year's show at Maxwell's. Okay. I mean, the comics are, I used to do Yolo Tango's Hanukkah shows sometimes, but, and I was there once with the National uh, as the guest band, but okay. it was not. It was not New Year's. Okay. But I know Ted Leo. Yeah. So your partner plays. He played drums with me at the time. Oh, okay. And um. It wasn't me. It was some other Jew. Some other Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't remember, and I felt bad. So some I didn't other wanna, funny Jewish I didn't guy. Not, I didn't want to not say something. Yeah. Um, but um, but in 2011, I was on my way to shoot a video. Um, for my song Magic Chords and Darius Van Arman, who's um, Jag Jaguar, yeah, uh, was driving and he played me some demos yeah. of Angel. From the first records? Yeah. 
And they sound I, like your first record. But like I, I remember hearing it and being so moved. And he said, yeah. "We're I think we're about to sign her." What yeah. do you think? And I, I just remember thinking her melodies are so moving. Like her, just there's a timbre of a voice. There's something in if someone can really sing, like Richard and Linda Tom, like Linda Thompson Oof. does it for me. You yeah, know, there's sure. certain things where when they hit me, I can't always explain it, but it's so emotional. And um, I think what Angel and I were able to bond over during this tour we just finished. Has she got a friend for me, that Linda Thompson song? Has she oh, got a friend? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, uh, Walking on the Line. Um, I mean, Pour Down Like Silver oof. is a record you can't really find anywhere. But I, I really love... Um, is that the both of them or just her? It's both of them. I don't know if I have that Dimming one. of the Day. Yeah. <sighs> I have... Uh, the, I want to see the bright lights tonight, and mm-hmm. I have uh, the one with Calvary Cross on it. Okay, and I, have a, I feel like I have three or four. Oh, yeah, her you... range is incredible. When I had, I did voice lessons in Brooklyn with this yeah. woman, Joy Askew, who uh-huh. used to sing with um, Fairport. She was. Um, she sang with Peter Gabriel, uh-huh. and she sang with. Um, Laurie Anderson. Okay. But she's a vocal coach, yeah. and one of our exercises was the dimming of the day. And huh. they've been. Bonnie Raitt's version, though. Like those those vocal skills are good warm ups. They're very hard, though. <laughs> so you took the lessons? Yes, I took I took lessons. I still do my exercises. No, it's when good. I, can. I took someone gave me one voice lesson. I oh, thought, really? Yeah. And How'd I you know, like it. It was good. It made me cry. Touching sound or what? You're like, uh, like you know, finding that thing in the breath—it mm-hmm. like, makes me sad. It's meditative. I guess so. Once you get past the emotions, I'm very weird about singing. Yeah, where do you hold it? I can open it up. Uh huh. You, you know, and it's not, but like when I hear my pure voice or when I sing in front of people, there's a vulnerability to it that I can't quite manage, and I don't. And I've always find it there's something horrifying to me about singing badly in front of people. <laughs> Like, it's just so devastating. The idea of, and then having to finish the song? <laughs> like, you're just singing shitty the whole song? <laughs> no. So, I've gotten a little better, you, you know, but, and I've made some mistakes singing out, like, with people. Like, I tried to do Jealous Guy, and I just <laughs> fucked it. But because I, I'm doing a comedy show as well, and they know I'm a comedian, I'll, I'll stop the song and go, like, I have to start this over. <laughs> Because I'm not going to go down like this. Yes, it's a good way to be. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't have anything on the line. Yeah. It's not even my real gig. <laughs> Anyways, so, but Linda Thompson, those records kill me. Yeah. He, they, they, so Angel, you heard that quality when yes. you first heard it. Yes. When I heard her voice, I just, I was moved immediately. Yeah. And I could just tell, like, she... Some writers start with a guitar and they have chords, yeah. and then they write melodies within chords. And I think she is a writer, and I tend to do this where it's a melody that is the center of the song, and you play around the melody. Uh-huh. So, right. So if you try to learn a song and like nothing really repeats, it's because it's really about the melody. Right. Well, I'm I'm a melody guy. I have a hard time with lyrics. <laughs> Me too. You do? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I listen to them, but I, like I can't always make them out, and I'm not going to sit and read them too too often mm-hmm. unless I really have to. Right. To because you know, like that's why I've, it's always been weird. Like if a singer songwriter's not speaking clearly, <laughs> I can't. It's just not. I'm not. It's not going to happen. 
You know, and it takes a lot of listens. Yes, I'm still learning how to enunciate. I even going over the last record, there was a song where my partner was like, "I." It sounds like you're just do like it just sounds like you're singing oohs and ahs on this part, but I know you're saying something. But there's certain notes that I won't hit if Which I'm song? speaking. Uh, Born. That's the best song. Oh, <laughs> it's a hard one. It's a hard one for sure. But it's got that turnaround in it that I like, those three chords. I don't remember what they are, but I know there's there's a certain magic uh, three chords where I'm always like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I listen to. Uh, that Every time I listen to the new record, when I get to that song, I'm like, this is the one. <laughs> but I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. 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 I kind of know. But I like, I mean, I'd rather hit the note than say the words over artic. Like, if I over articulate, sometimes that distracts from the mm. the moment. But. You know, yeah. that's why I do print, li- I put lyrics in all the records if people want to read them. But. I did, I read them. But still, even sometimes with, with lyrics, like, I, I always, uh, I don't know, I just, I just talked to that woman, S.G. Goodman, do you know her? You should listen to those two records. Like, you know, your records kind of, you know, took me, and uh, and her records, she's got two records out, she's from Kentucky. Okay. And uh, it's pretty great stuff. And like, I don't know where, you know, some people just send me the records. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was, uh, who, I don't know who her people are. Uh, same people as Isbell's people. I, I she said they have the same manager, but like, I don't know what it is, and I and I don't rec. It's not a matter of what she's saying; it's just a matter of how she's singing it. Mm-hmm. But that's but you know that about yourself. Well, you can feel that in people, right? Right. We need words for it. You know, just, <laughs> just make the noises. Yes. <laughs> also, it helps people connect to it in their own way too. You know, I've just like, always been a, a a riff or melody person, uh, and then like if I can, you, you know, I'll lock in. But but also if there's too many words, I get exhausted and I don't want to have to keep going back. Yes, I forget words all the time. You do? Yeah. To and your own song? Yeah, there's too many words. Yeah. For sure. That's why Connor Oberst, who I talked to, too many, there's a lot of words there. That guy's <laughs> writing songs all the time. He seems to have a knack for it, but I can't. It's too much. I need to start repeating phrases more often. Right. Yes. So, all right. So, when do you start, like, because like, like I was saying, you have a tone, and the first few two records are pretty, pretty minimal. But then Tramp gets bigger, and now where we're at now with we've been going about this all wrong. It's very big. It's very big sound. You know, there are moments there where, like, I'm reminded of people of uh, you know, like Radiohead a little bit sometimes. Um, sometimes uh, P.J. Harvey. Sometimes these are good people. I'm not saying you're lifting anything, but no, I'm just saying I admire a, them for sure. <laughs> you, you feel that in you? You have them in you somewhere? Yeah, I definitely grew up listening to them and yeah, yeah. their influences. And I know it all seeps in. You know, yeah, I yeah. don't deny any of that no, stuff. No, but no, but that but the weird thing is it's still uniquely your own. But the, I'm just saying, but the, the the well PJ did it too. Like eventually the production gets gets bigger once you have more confidence, I guess, in what you're trying to do. Right. And it seems like you folded in. There's like, you know, synthesizers now. Yeah. All kinds of layers. Yeah. Was that the War on Drugs guys idea? <laughs> um, well, that was, I think that was kind of uh, from my last record, Remind Me Tomorrow, I was learning how to do more marriage of like, I got bored of like straight up band stuff. And, yeah. And I, I felt like I was going to write the same song over and over again if I had my guitar because I kind of got stuck in like, this is where you go here. Right. How do you it, get out of that? Well, I... Put bringing synthesizers. I got a couple synthesizers because I, you know, my <laughs> first instrument was piano. Yeah. But now like I have these pads 
and these gnarly sounds and it's making me sing in a different way yeah um also after having a kid and my stomach was kind of ripped apart from like a an emergency c-section and and so my voice kind of changed and how i sustained notes uh. changed and like i kind of just sat like lower in my voice and well yeah on born it's like really low uh-huh. right uncomfortably so. yeah but, but it's like it's interesting <laughs> Oh, cool. You know, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I love that song. And I'm not sort of like, you know, what's she doing with her voice? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a conversation because like, I remember someone saying like, is that, are you sure that's not too low for you? And I'm like, well, I think that's kind of inter- like cool. Like, it is. It's, it makes it, you kind of sit for a second. It does. In that. It's like, yeah, that's sort of like, okay, this is, yeah. she means business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew that this one, this record, I, I wanted to embrace the, you know, piece some the the pandemic and all of the intensely and uh, intensity and apocalyptic yeah. feelings. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to stray away from it and yeah. make like a fun record. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, so I probably leaned into it. I'm sorry. Is there a fun record that I missed? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm like one day I will maybe make something that's a little bit more lighthearted, but the timing didn't yeah. seem appropriate. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. everyone's like, "You're gonna make like a, a kids record?" I'm like, "Hell no! I'm not making a kids record." Um, but I, I don't know. I've had conversations with other artists about how they, you know, how do you not make a pandemic record if you wrote it in the last couple of years. It's well, just, it's like, yeah, time is time. When you wrote it, you wrote it, right? Yeah. And, and the themes are going to come through if you're just sitting there. Yeah, I'm not going to avoid it. I kind of go there. Do you feel like, do you, do you, like, which, like, do you have songs about it? Or how, what's the songwriting process? How does that happen? I mean, does it just come to you? Do you just wake up and, like, oh, yeah, here's the thing? <laughs> well, some words. It was the first time I had a space to work out of from the home. And you have a studio at the house? Yeah, there was a studio in the garage. Yeah. And um, was it there when you got there? Yes. Oh. I still we fixed it up to make it a little bit like more light filled because yeah. it was covered in black foam and oh, yeah. I was like I'm not moving from a basement in <laughs> Dumbo to like a cave in LA. I'm like I need some light, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great it was, it uh-huh. was a great space. Okay. Um and so I was able to go to work. Oh, so like in, in it, it, it makes the writing process different because you can you can hear sounds right away. Yeah, and right. I just had it to be able to click and record and to uh-huh. be able to track without knowing what I was going to do. And I don't tend to sit down and say this is what I'm going to write about. Yeah, me neither. They start as kind of therapy sessions of like emotive like. Singing. Stream of consciousness, L and singing. Mm-hmm. Really, you'll just come up with words. I mean, it starts as nonsense. Really, it starts like with feelings and emote, like just like huh. vibe, and I find a key. And, and you do that by yourself. And I do it by myself. I hate writing around other people. Why would they would? I. How could you be comfortable if that's your process? Yes. If you're just sort of you know jabbering away. Yeah, it's a weird position to be in. And you just start rhyming or what? When do you know that like something moves from nonsense to lyric? Well, I'll record if I have, if I figured out something melodic with a chord progression, right. I'll record it for about 20, 30 minutes and, uh-huh. I'll, and I'll just keep going. And sometimes words and phrases just pop out Okay. and I'll leave it for a while. And I'll, I'll kind of, if I, if I feel good in that, you know, whatever I caught in that, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Then um, I'll keep going with other ideas like that, and I'll just bank them and bank them and bank them while I'm in this feeling zone. 
And then uh, I won't listen to them for maybe weeks or months, sometimes years, because I just keep this folder of ideas. And on days where I go to work and I'm not feeling anything, I'll put on headphones and I'll listen and that's when I'll start writing. Huh. Years. Sometimes. What song has been sitting around for years? (laughs) It hasn't seen the light of day yet. Um, Well, actually... Uh, Darkish on this record was one I had for a few years, um, huh. the really minimal one uh, with just the birds in the background, because um, I felt like it was at the time too apocalyptic to um, release. When you first did it. When I first did but it. But now that the apocalypse is here, yes, and you're happening, like, it's time. This yeah. is actually in the context of this record. It's actually the lightest part of the record. Wow. Um, huh. But there's some things that just are sometimes just too personal or, or like too intense where I'm like, I'm glad I wrote that for me and I needed that for whatever headspace too I was raw? in. Some of it's too raw. Yeah, huh. just like I'm maybe too literal because I'm working out my own feelings of something that happened or, you know, oh, I'm just right. like maybe I'll, you know, sometimes songs take different forms where like a piece of it will come up subconsciously in another idea. And too literal, like, uh, like you don't want to be a storyteller? Kind of, <laughs> but also it's not always a story that people want to hear. How do you know? <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to write write songs about being a survivor, and it's hard to write songs about a survivor. A survivor. I'm I'm a rape victim. Oh, and um, I still haven't really gone there in my music. And, when did um, that happen? In Tennessee, in uh, the early 2000s. Uh. Which is another reason that helped me leave. Yeah, like I'm made sorry me want to leave. That. But, so that was part of the reason why you were so shattered for so long. Yeah, and had a hard time getting your confidence back. Yeah, that's terrible. Terrible. Sorry that happened to you. Yeah, but see, that wouldn't be a funny like it wouldn't be a song that I don't know how to write yet. I uh-huh. feel like um, you don't think it's made its way in at all. I'm sure it has, and you know, over the years, I think I avoided talking about it early because yeah. yeah. I was like, that's just you know, that's going to be something that will be part of the story forever, and I don't want that to be the story. Was it someone you knew? No. Oh. Um, so. <clears throat> yeah, oh, I get it. So some things are just too heavy for you to process. Yeah. And, and, and until you get a handle on how you want to sort of contextualize it, it's still kind of emotionally dangerous to, to, to unpack. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can totally understand that. Because it, it, it also is, it speaks to your ability as an artist, too. Because a lot of times, you know, people will throw stuff out there because they just need to. But you seem to know enough to, about the therapeutic nature of your process to know what to share and what not to share. Like, sometimes, like, as a comic, I'll just go out there with stuff that is clearly not funny. <laughs> and clearly raw and fucked up. And I'll just lay it out. And it re-traumatizes you. I'm sure. And I would imagine that's the risk of of not having control of your personal feelings and, and whatever the narrative is around your trauma to put it out in the world. Because if it, if it goes out in the world and you weren't ready to put it out in the world, whatever comes back, mm-hmm. especially if it's negative, it's just going to you know reopen all the wounds. Right. Well, I think as... 
well for me if it's yeah. learning how to, learning how to be an artist or learning how to control your narrative is yeah. so huge right yeah, i right. mean i'm sure you've had to deal with like ha- being interviewed and steering conversations and, i'm not good at it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like cuz i'll just i'll talk too much mm-hmm. and i i don't know what my i'm fortunately for me i my narrative is controlled cuz i never shut up i talk twice a week and i'm very open so there's there's not a lot missing from the the public narrative you're very good at it Oh well, that well, thank you. <laughs> but but yeah, I I understand that some people are control. Like, what is your fear? Like, what do you have to control now, in terms of like when you're conscious of it? Right. Well, things that I I, mean, I try to control now are like mostly for safety measures for family stuff, and um, uh, that I'm learning like what I should and should not say just for. Uh, protecting people right. in terms of, of your personal life yes which right. my whole entire career has only been writing about my my personal life and, yeah but now and other people become involved and people reaching out to my family members and stuff i'm just oh, like oh right, right okay right. Yeah. i'll i need to do things a little differently yeah know? you always be wary of the guy who's writing the big profile and needs to talk to all your brothers and sisters and parents yes because uh you're not going to win on that one. <laughs> no. There's a lot of sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. So do you feel like with this record, uh, because like for me, if and I've listened to all the records in a row, like this one seems to be the most, uh, it's the biggest sounding, and there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on in, musically in a lot of the songs that creates layers of, of heavy feeling. And uh, it seems, I, I can see it as the, the one it's a natural evolution and it sort of like seems to be what you're working towards like do you feel like i did it i do especially after the last few years that we've all gone through yeah. to be able to make anything i think i'm proud of all my artists community that they're still making things and they keep going sure. you know um i'm so lucky that i have an outlet to yeah. be able to feel like something came over the last couple of years um but it took so many people to to help me make the sound because it started in my little garage yeah. and then i knew that i wanted to salvage those tracks so that it was a, it still represented this time and I, I didn't want a big producer to come in and like try to polish it i wanted to pull in those tracks from my studio yeah and um, I had another session with my friend Zach Dawes, who played bass on Remind Me Tomorrow. Um, he he brought me into the Village recorders with uh, a, a few session players. Yeah. And um, where's that? Um, I think it is. It's it's not quite Santa Monica, but it's oh, like where Fleetwood, like Fleetwood's studio, where they did Tusk. Oh really? Uh, yeah, it's oh. pretty amazing. And I got to go like after hours. He had a friend that was an engineer there that's like took me in like off session. Yeah. Um, God, you could have probably got Lindsay to play on it if you wanted to. <laughs> dream, dream. <laughs> um, but so we had like a few sessions in there when I was figuring, like testing the waters of what I wanted the record to sound like, and I I I, I felt like that was going to be a beautiful record, but. I, I wasn't ready to make that record. And so we brought in some of those tracks from that session to honor the players that were a huge part of it. Um, and I mixed the garage sessions 
and the village sessions with my engineer, Dan Knowles, who uh-huh. has done our live sound for the last few years. And he helped me do these rough mixes, and we brought him into a studio in Glassell um, called Balboa, and I brought in my band for the first time, and we were all in like a room together pretty much. For the first time since the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so they were able to, well, everyone but my bass player, Devin, he's in Jersey City, um, but they came in and helped me build upon these tracks. And so it was kind of, <laughs> we call it piss mill, but piecemeal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to honor the garage and I wanted to honor my friends that were part of that studio. And then I wanted to bring in my band so we could feel like we were making something again. And I think that's, it kept growing and growing because of that. Yeah. And when you talk about like therapy or, cause I was thinking about the idea of, you know, art as you know expression and then as creating a therapeutic space and when you talk about you know the your process is being therapeutic almost in a meditational way way right through repetition and, and, and opening it up and, and taking that private space it, like you know it even though the songs have a sort of melancholy to them they serve to create relief right in you absolutely I mean yeah. I <clears throat> I don't know. I still don't understand it. I mean, I think this is something, and if there's some part of psychology that I can study to understand what it is, it's uh-huh. not necessarily the music therapy, but there's something that is, like, ineffable, you know, that I feel like I get it out, and it's this feeling, and yeah. it's, it's not like it's closure or anything, but it's right. this unspeakable thing that I don't know what it is and I get it out and it's draining in a, in a great way most of the time but um, I don't know what that thing is but I know when I've <sighs> I know when I've gotten it out and I can take a deep breath after I, I've written something and I, I don't know what it is yet but it's this idea an emotional frequency like it, it, like, it seems like a pretty full idea because it's not just a, a it's not a lyric it's not a lyric. <laughs> you know, it's some sort of like, you know, it comes from this secret place, a melody or, or just, you know, a, a, a groove of some kind, right? Right. But uh. even when you were saying earlier that, you know, when you sit by yourself and you try to sing and it can make you tear up. Oh, yeah. I mean. I get teared up when other people sing sometimes. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's like a really important connection. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I can sit at a piano and I remember even this feeling from the kid when like, we moved into our house in Nutley when I was maybe in kindergarten. Yeah. And I was sitting at the piano and I just remember feeling the vibrations and feeling something that I didn't understand, but it felt beautiful. And when you find that note, like everyone has a note in their body that if you find this one note, you can feel feel it vibrate more than other notes. Yeah. Um, I think when people chant, they find that sure. note. and. There's something in that that something, resonates yeah. <laughs> resonates with me. Sure, it's like it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's universal, and you know it transcends language. There's a magic to it, you know that that is essentially human, and there is you know the uh, combination of, of of vulnerability and uh, transcendence in it. Yeah. Have you ever met someone that said they don't listen to music? Not that I know of. I I just had a an airport ride recently, and um, the driver said, "Yeah, I doesn't. I don't really listen to music because 
every time I listen to it, it just, I get angry. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, what kind of music yeah, are, really. <laughs> what are you listening to? Can I, can I put, can I make you a mixtape or something? The wrong music. Uh, I feel, I felt bad for that person. Because I was thinking like when I dated a painter, you know, she was uh, kind of a heavy being, heavy soul. But she would paint these amazingly, almost, um, you know, colorful, kind of um, simple but but powerful uh, um, paintings that were kind of, you know, uplifting in some weird way. And and I realized at some point, or she may have told me, that you know that's 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 almost a treatment for her own anxiety and depression is to manifest this light you know, on these canvases somehow. And I guess, you know, manifesting anything when it's coming from a, a place of, of fear, depression, trauma, whatever, it's, it's better almost to put it out in the world without, you know, without an explanation and without it necessarily making sense in the way that people try to make sense of things. Because then it, it, you don't have to answer for it and, it, and, it, and it's pure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I when I watch my kid just draw, yeah. you know, it's. I wish I didn't have a filter, you know, because oh, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. if I didn't have the filter, then I feel like I wouldn't hold so much inside, you know. But oh, yeah. that's what these these things that don't have words yet for me. That there are like I wish I could paint, and I wish I could have like a use use my hands in a way to see it, you know, like what is how do I organize this? Yeah internal chaos um, well i mean you do your thing <laughs> you know what you, what you, you do it? you <laughs> well, i mean but i mean it's like you know what you want to learn to paint now no you know I mean? <laughs> like that's the problem when you when you're an artist and it's you know you have your thing and then you see other things so you're like, well maybe i could do it better that way but then you got to learn that you know then you, then you got to judge yourself all over again and start, <laughs> i don't know yeah. Seems rough. Yeah. We work so hard to be where we are today and doing what we do. Yeah. You know, there I have so many interests, but I, you know, there's yeah, not enough some, time. Some things you got to keep as a hobby. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the way I look at guitar. Like, I used to do a joke about it. Like, you know, like because I never set out to be a professional musician, none of these guitars are broken dream vessels. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't represent any sort of failure to me. They look yeah. pretty happy. But, but to... Speaking of, I, I think that like when you talk about trauma and and about whether or not you uh, you can deal with it in music, I think it comes out like if you're doing it the way you're doing it, it's all there. It has to inform it. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I'm I'm trying to be honest about my life while also telling us having a narrative that is still general enough for people to be able to relate to if they're listening to the words um and i feel i feel a lot better having made this i feel like i let something go yeah you know it's like honoring this time yeah. and hopefully moving past it so you're not going to tour on this record um well we did i did um a three-week tour in europe or four a month-long tour in europe how was it Oh my god. It was I mean my band is amazing, but it was a fucking nightmare. Really? Because <laughs> Okay, so with everything with COVID, yeah. there's just a lot of supply demand issues. Yeah. Um we had reserved this bus about a year ago. Yeah. And it was like the last 
bus standing. <laughs> and and I'm not like I'm not even used to touring on buses. Um, the last tour we did was in 2019, and that was my first bus. Uh-huh. Um, I was always a van yeah. person. Then it went van to a trailer. Then yeah. it went to like the bandwagon thing, uh-huh. you know, yeah. band to go bandwagon, both of them. And 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 living on a bus is just hard anyway. I still don't know how to do it, but I feel very lucky to be at a, a bus level, yeah. quote unquote. Uh-huh. But we arrived in Spain. Oh, sorry, we started in Portugal. Yeah. And um, my tour manager let me know that you know there are some really long drives happening, so you have to have a relief driver. Yeah. And the relief driver shows up to meet this bus. Apparently, Parliament was on the bus for six weeks on this bus. <laughs> yeah. And the driver goes to relieve this other driver to pick up the bus and yeah. bring it to us. But the driver took one look at the bus and said, fuck this, I'm out. And ditched the tour. And the driver that was on tour for six weeks with Parliament felt the need to stay on so that we yeah. could have this tour. Because yeah. otherwise, we would have been totally fucked. And so he drove the tour bus to Portugal to meet us. And when we drove from Portugal to Spain for Primavera, we felt him swerving. And it took us five hours longer than we were supposed to to get to the place because he had to pull over every 30 minutes or so to take a nap because he was exhausted. Oh, my God. And he's like, we're like, it's already scary to like have, you know, you're like, 10 bodies flying through the night like, yeah. with a stranger driving yeah. you around the I know. world. I, yeah. I hate it. Yeah. And um, and he was so tired, he had to pull over to nap the whole entire way. And after talking to my tour manager, he yeah. said, okay, how about this? Why don't we give him an extra day? Because yeah. there was a bus and a truck and the truck had all our gear. Yeah. So we let the, we let the bus driver sleep an extra day and we just had, had met the truck at the festival, yeah. hoping that he would catch up on some sleep for an extra yeah. day and wait to meet us until the end of the festival right. to drive on to the next place. Yeah. And um, he was still just very tired. Yeah. And it was like a battle of like him being tired, the bus smelling like asshole. Yeah. And the sheets weren't changed and like the bus was falling apart and he was like oh crashing God. into cars like the whole entire like scraping the sides like a window was had to be taped and like the oh my god the so headlights you was one up so no one could sleep because you were too worried that yeah you're... we're gonna die and yeah. I, I would text zeke my partner and just be like i just want you to know that i love you <laughs> i just i don't I just, whatever happens, I'm not, like, I'm not high maintenance at all. And and thank goodness for the nature of my band. Like, it brought us closer together. But, like, we woke up at one point and, like, the toilet was leaking. So now, like, every time you pee, you have to throw towels on the floor to, like, soak up your own pee. And then the last straw was when... We had like a 6 a.m. ferry. It wasn't the, the, the hitting cars. And <laughs> I mean, the, but it's like, but we hadn't, we didn't really have like a plan. Like okay. there's no yeah, other, yeah, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, let's just get another thing. Yeah, yeah. At this point, it's like so, you okay. booked a bus tour. So what's the last so straw? The last straw was we woke up in the belly of a ferry because he decided to take the earlier one without telling us, uh-huh. which is illegal and also super dangerous because you're underwater and if you flood and you're asleep, you can die. Yeah. But also if we got out of the bus while 
and we got caught, it's like thousands of dollars in fines for being under so there. So he just parked you on the ferry and asleep? And didn't tell us. Uh-huh. And my son was supposed to be joining us like the following week. Uh-huh. So we ended up having to ditch the bus in France. We let the driver go. He was... He didn't really like it anyway. He was so exhausted and he was really bad at his job. And I feel for him. But we ended up training it for the rest of the tour. And then the truck just met you there? And the truck just, and Rod, the truck driver, like saved the fucking tour. Because if he had not, (laughs) if he had not been on board, like he he was just laughing at the whole thing. His spirit was great. Oh my God. So that that was our first tour back. And it was pretty rough. (laughs) So this is why you're rethinking your future? Yes. Don't get the star sleeper bus. Um, Uh, But you know, it's like. That parliament had for six months? (laughs) Um. But then I guess the first indication would be the relief driver going like, fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah. Wow. You know, and I'm shielded from a lot more than that because, you know, everyone's just trying to help me be in the zone, you know, but I'm like. So, but I mean, what about you didn't tour? You didn't do an American tour at all? We, we did. We just finished. We just finished this last one um, about a week ago. We did like a month long tour in the States. How'd that go? It was great. I mean, Did you have a better bus driver. You know, you set the bar low, then you're set up to succeed. Well, you can't. Um, you know, waking up on a ferry. <laughs> I think anything above that. Oh, wow, I don't have to throw towels down every time right. I use the bathroom. <laughs> awesome. Um, That's rough. Yeah, but you did know, you have a bus here? We did. We had yeah. so it was it was Angel. Olson. Oh, that's right. Baker I remember. I knew me, you did that. Yeah, I knew you. And then uh, Quinn. Christofferson and so it's three buses yeah and it, we had a semi truck well that's big yeah it's like over 40 people with crew and, and it, you guys it did all right incredible yeah like they ran it like it was a lot of planning on like management yeah and you know production side so when you had heard Angel's music that that's a relatively new friendship or I mean, we've we've gotten closer over the years, yeah. and then COVID brought us closer together. Uh-huh. But you know, I bumped into her on tour in Amsterdam in probably 2014. Yeah, and that was the first time we like hung. Okay, and we were just we ended up at the same bar after a show. We had yeah. we had like we both had ni- like a show the same night, and we ended up at the same bar. And she pushed the tables together and was uh, like, "That was that. Come hang." Yeah, yeah. and now you guys are. Recording music together yes. and touring. Yes. And everybody's happy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, as happy as, you know, you can be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, she's an amazing person and um, her whole crew is great. Okay. And Julian's whole team is wonderful and she's a sweetheart too. What's her, where's she from? I don't know her stuff. She's uh, based out of Nashville now. Uh-huh. I think she's from Memphis yeah. originally. Um, is she of the Christoffersons? She's <laughs> she is not. Okay. Uh, uh, well, there's a Quinn Christofferson who is the first of four, and he is f- from Alaska. And Julian Baker, um, she's in. She's the one living in Nashville, okay. and she started playing in like hardcore bands and stuff, huh. and broke out doing a solo record in two thousand. I want to say 14 or 15. Uh-huh. 15. Yeah. And it's just really beautiful. Like a great guitar player. Cool. Really emotive. You know, talks a lot about addiction mm. and mental health. Okay. And, um, you know, they're just, and her voice is just like crystalline. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So are you just taking it easy right now? 
Yeah, I have a few months off now. Yeah. Um, settling back here, we we like moved into a new spot, and um, you know, we're gonna. I think we only have it for six months at the moment. Uh, you're not gonna buy a house. <laughs> Yeah, now's a really great time. Is it? No. <laughs> no. Gonna, we got to get out of here. There's not going to be any water left. You know, one thing I read, there's an article about, um, there's a new sect in psychology about environmental dread. Uh-huh. And that's like a real thing happening with people right now and like finding where people's anxiety is coming from. And it's about just the- How about ev- the environment? Yeah. Where yeah. is it coming from? Right, but it's- Reality. Like, yeah, you know, but it's like this, like, it's, because that's one thing- when you talk about like ang- anxieties that are actually founded, yeah. So then, how do you, have someone that has anxieties that are actually valid, yeah. yeah. How do you treat that? Yeah. Tell, <laughs> just tell them to honor their fear and do whatever their fear is telling them to do. <laughs> get out of town. Yeah, get the fuck out. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, it's like, oh yeah, you know what? I understand you're anxious, and you're right. You're right about everything. It's. <laughs> It's probably not going to end well. So yeah. maybe try to get out ahead of it somehow. Yeah. You know, and like as a therapist, I feel like it'd be great for that, the short-term clients. You know what I uh-huh. mean? Just feel like, yeah, you should definitely just go. Well, yeah, but you, <laughs> like I did it for myself. You got to put a plan in place mm-hmm. that that is real enough to not feel like a fantasy mm-hmm. to, you know, save your sanity and possibly save yourself. You know, like for me, it was just applying for a permanent residence in Canada, like to get that application underway. And it, it unburdened me in a, in a big way. Like it could take two or three years for me to be approved. And it just means that I'll, I would be able to live there and work and get healthcare, you know, without foregoing citizenship. But it's incentive. And it feels like I've taken some sort of action. So you've fallen in love with Canada. Well, I've fallen in love with a pace of, of existence that doesn't have the, the psychic cancer that lives here. Right. Uh, you know, I think getting out ahead of environmental disaster is anyone's challenge right. because that seems to be a real thing. But, you know, being in a cultural climate that is not that much different, but a lot less uh, horrendous and uh, um, uh, dangerous seeming, mm-hmm. it's really just an age thing. I mean, I used to think Canada was boring, but now I'm like, I'm, a- I'm ready to be bored. Right. You know, fuck it. Yeah. I- I've done the work and I've done, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in this, you know, I've I've peaked in a way, and I've saved some bread. So what do I need to you know sit here and wait for weirdos and you know like land pirates and freaks to come? <laughs> you don't want to bust your ass anymore. Like, well, it's not even a matter of busting my ass. It's just like I don't. I I would like to live without the constant fear of our cultural and political climate. Yeah. But that was just something I did for myself, and it created a lot of space around those kind of fears, whether it's climate or political anxiety. What do you do with the space now that you... I, I, well, it? No, I, it's, it's like I, I've, I fill it with other depression, <laughs> <laughs> with other fears. I have other fears that I can just feel. You know, then like, ultimately, it does not placate the, the uh, omnipresent dying thing. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, like, uh-huh. during the last couple of years, like, learning how to filter myself in front of my kid with what's actually happening in the world. I can't even imagine know? that. Yeah. And it's been really hard. <laughs> and he's, like, you know, had to meet a whole bunch of new friends oh, and, right. like, in the midst of pandemic stuff. Mm. And um, it's, they, yeah. But they're, you know, they're, they oddly, it seems to me, not ha- being a parent, but, you know, if you're fair... And, you know, protective, uh, ultimately, whatever 
you know, the trauma of adjustment is different than, you know, real trauma in a way, right? Yeah. And they kind of, they, they're their own people and they'll, they'll process it. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And I think it's like, for us, it's like, we're, we're honest to a point, but we also want to, everything is an adventure, you know? Sure, sure. So as long as it's like, we're, we're a happy unit and we yeah. stay optimistic, um, yeah. then like, he's, you know, he sure. has no idea. Right. You got to <laughs> gaslight a kid. Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) All right, it's good talking to you. Good talking to you. That was nice. I was happy to meet her, happy to talk to her. Uh, Got a little heavy there, but that happens here. And uh, the coffee she got me was really good. I would plug it, but I don't remember what it was. There's some. There, there is a coffee shop somewhere who has Sharon as a regular customer, saying "fuck." Why didn't the new album is called We've Been Going About This All Wrong. If you're in Australia or New Zealand, she'll be on tour there in December. Go to SharonVanEtten.com for tour dates and info. And uh, hang out for a second, will you? Look, people, if you have a full Marin subscription, this week we posted a real blast from the past. Those of you who have been with us from the very beginning might remember a segment we used to do on the very first episodes of WTF called A Few with Matthew. Matthew Weiss is a uh, filmmaker, uh, a film editor, a teacher of sorts. Uh, I knew him back in the day. He used to, uh, I met him through Sam Cedar when we did Break Room Live, a a video streaming show before anyone could stream it on uh, the last uh, incarnation, is that what you call it, of Air America? And uh, he used to shoot bits with me, uh, little directed bits, fake commercials, and also just riffing on the street. And we had kind of a strange, uh, slightly competitive relationship. And he was here in L.A. and came over to visit. So we recorded our first A Few with Matthew segment in over 12 years. Wasn't there a point in our friendship where it was over? In Queens, in Queens, I remember walking down the street. Yeah, and it was like you know, could fuck you with your Alexander technique (laughs) and your arrogance. I mean, who the fuck? If it wasn't for the Alexander technique, I'd be crippled today. You don't know how badly my spine and neck are fucked up from being an editor and sitting in the chair for twelve hours a day. Oh, sorry, I was. But but I know it was over. Like I, I, you thought I, I remember what it was. What was it? It was like who the fuck do you think you are? You think you know everything about movies? Right. That was because I believe on the heels (laughs) of the aforementioned dust up. About over, uh, wild things. Wild, the wild that was things really up. what did it. Huh? I think so. It's hard you to pompous believe. ass. I know. Who the fuck? He- and I've never heard anyone say that to me. So it really came as a shock. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It may have been said to me once or twice. So but I also recall uh, the makeup. Well, it wasn't makeup sex. But no, it was the makeup yeah. time yeah. where you said, and this is all very. Pre yeah. this show Podcast. taking off, yeah. it was this, it was happening, but it wasn't like uh, what it is today, right? And you said I'm playing at the beer garden near your house. Oh, remember yeah. that show? Yes, and it was like terrible. Five people. I thought it was a funny show. I enjoyed yeah. myself. Yeah, but it was I was there to see you, right? And that was after that we went and ate at the diner, and then it's at Neptune. Was, yeah, and that was it. And then we were back. I mean, a little. It, was, pancakes, it wasn't irreparable. Eggs. The pancakes? I mean, I don't know. The fact that I'm sitting here talking to you right now should be evidence to the contrary of that. I always felt that there was, it wasn't tension, but there was, a, you know, a, some kind of strange uh, uh, ego thing, struggle we had. Yeah. That was my belief. Yeah. I don't know what it well, was. Well, you about. would think that. You would think that. Yeah, see that. 
I know, I know. It's up now, and you can listen to it with the full Marin subscription, and anyone with a WTF Plus subscription uh, can go back and listen to those early segments at the very start of the archives. Just scroll all the way back to episode two. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Next week, folks, next week, I'm in Tucson, Arizona at the Rialto Theater on September 16th. Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live on September 17th. Boulder, Colorado at the Boulder Theater on September 22nd. Fort Collins, Colorado at the Lincoln Center on September 23rd. And Toronto, Ontario at the Queen Elizabeth Theater on September 30th and October 1st. Then I'm in Livermore, California at the Bankhead Theater on October 6th. And Carmel-by-the-Sea, California, at the Sunset Center on October 7th. I need someone to go to that. that. That one's on the edge of being canceled. I'll be in London, England, at the Bloomsbury Theater, Saturday and Sunday, October 22nd and 23rd. I'll be in Dublin, Ireland, at Vicker Street, Wednesday, October 26th. I have dates in November and December in Oklahoma City, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Eugene, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, Asheville, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee, all leading up to my HBO special taping at Town Hall in New York City on Thursday, December 8th. There are some tickets still around for that second show. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all dates and ticket info, and I'll play us out.
Boomer lives. Monkey and La Fonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>